Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. I'm Joe. I'm Kayla. I'm Will. And I'm Caitlin. Well, we've got Caitlin in the hot seat this week. Uh, Hi, Caitlin. It, Hello. Uh, Kayla, you you actually were, were responsible for getting Caitlin on the show, so uh, you can handle the the introduction today. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I was necessarily responsible for it, yep, but I, I at least initiated it. Um, <laughs> Kayla and I know each other uh, from from back in our uh, geeky Rennie sword fighting days. Um, Kaylin was was much more of a badass than I ever was uh, on the field for sure. Um, but uh, but we had a, a mutual love of the Renaissance and and kicking people's butts with swords. Um, but then Kaylin went on and became this incredible. She's always been intelligent um science superhero um that that um i am just absolutely fascinated by and unfortunately we haven't because she has been so busy getting degrees and working and changing the world and being a wonderful person um i i desperately wanted to to catch up with her and and find out all about all of the fun nerdy stuff she's been doing so i thought she would be good for the show so here she is Ta-da! <laughs> so 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 last we had a conversation um this is how much of a dork i am i believe it was as i was traveling up the state to go to that i'd left i'd left the house at two o'clock in the morning to travel all the way up the state of florida to go to an msi concert in jacksonville <laughs> yes and we stopped to say hello to caitlin and i think that was the last time i saw you um and at that point um, i think you were in school yeah that might have that might have been the was that seriously the last time we hung out in person <laughs> i think that was the last time i saw you in person which um, was like 10 years ago more than 10 years ago at this point yeah that was the the project revolution it was like was it like a day or two concert mm-hmm. yeah yep um yeah so i was in undergrad at that point okay so so uh, for the audience Florida. <laughs> yes um <laughs> give us give us a Give us the overview of your your education and expertise. Um, okay, but first I'm going to sidebar you and kind of maybe possibly blow your mind because I found out nobody knew about this when I was way back when with Renfair and stuff. Cool. Um, I have been a ginormous science nerd like my entire life. And it actually originally started with marine biology. And okay. like I did a shit ton of science fairs and I got some papers published with the Florida Junior Academy of Science. And... I also was on the Discovery Channel Young Scientist Challenge in 2000, um, and I was named one of the top 40 young scientists of America. Holy cow! So, boom. Nobody knew that. (laughs) Knew that. She's running around in armor beating on people. We didn't know she was like, wow. Okay, that's like a couple of geek points right there. Yeah. Yeah, that is. (laughs) (laughs) So, you had your helmet 
really well done in protecting that that beautiful mind of yours um that's really funny because actually i had um what the fuck do my helmet checks often and uh <laughs> <laughs> he's not very nice with the helmet check so what was a bit rough <laughs> he does the left right punch to the face and you hope it doesn't hit you <laughs> Most of the what? times it didn't, being honest, but uh, yeah. It worked, though. Made sure you had your helmet on right. Yep, that is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I actually, like, I didn't just turn into it in college, if that makes sense. Like, I was doing okay. it in middle school. Oh, this is my puppy, Puck. <laughs> I can hear him. Oh, my goodness. He sounds like a little velociraptor. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> sound like a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, so I started off with that when I went to college. Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. You were on the Discovery Channel, Young Scientist. What, what, what was, what were you on there for? Before we get too deep into forgetting where this was going. <laughs> um, so I was on there because of um, going through all the different science fairs. So there's like um, school, county, state, national, international. And then there's some sidebar ones, and this was like a sidebar one put on by the Discovery Channel. Uh, and it was actually for, let me see if I can backtrack this, um, classification of macroinvertebrates based upon their behavioral attraction to different light frequencies and modulation. Wow. That is what I went there for. Uh, yeah. And it was basically like a week, um, like a week-long science fair that was recorded the entire time by the Discovery Channel. Um, and it took place like all throughout like the Smithsonian's and like all the museums basically up there. Uh, and it was just like, honestly, just so incredibly awesome. Like we even got to meet an astronaut and have dinner in like the Senate building. And yeah, it was super fucking cool. That's um, amazing. Maybe my favorite part of it is that when we went to the zoo... There were supposed to be pandas, um, but because for whatever reason the panda shipment was late, there wasn't any pandas. So instead, they let us actually go inside the panda environment and like play inside the panda environment like we were pandas. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember oh actual pictures. Now, see, that. that's that's awesome. <laughs> like, like people <laughs> walked by and were like, "What's happening?" And we're like. Pretending to be pandas climbing trees and rolling around and stuff. It was, it was really ridiculous. I love that. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you yeah, have so been... That... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so yeah, that's why I was uh, on the Discovery Channel wow. very briefly in 2000. Wow. That is, that is super cool. It's amazing how many Florida kids at some point have said, I want to be into marine biology or I want to be a marine biologist when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And then so few of us actually do. Yeah. Which <laughs> is kind of like kind of the next part of my story because I actually, um, out of high school, I was accepted into an accelerated PhD program for marine biology at Nova Southeastern because I was working in their crinoid lab at that point. Wow. Um, yep. Uh, so I didn't do that because my, it was basically like a, very close family friend for like seven years and also um, a mentor in science. And he was also like my teacher in high school, uh, literally at a state science fair. He just in the middle of walking, he just fell down and had like this massive heart attack. And he basically died in front of all of us, including oh. his daughter, which was super horribly unfortunate. Oh um, but yeah, so 
it felt really weird and wrong for me, I guess, in some way, which is, you know, in retrospect, kind of stupid um, to go and do that. And so I started looking into like psychology stuff because I was feeling a bit of a wreck from that because that was also around the time when my great uncle died and he had been living with us and et cetera, et cetera. When you're a teenager, it's not happy. Mm. So um, yeah, so I actually started looking into that and wanting to do art therapy. But then, so that's why I went to UCF instead of Nova Southeastern. And while I was at UCF, I wanted to do art therapy. And then I decided that uh, psychology just, (laughs) it just wasn't like, I don't know, like how to say this, but like rigorous enough, like the counseling part of it. um, There's like abnormal psych, there's neurological stuff, there's like a whole bunch of other things. But like the counseling part of it is like you pick a theory and run with it. Um, and like you can change up the theory as you're going, but there isn't any way to be sure that like you're not messing someone up um, instead of helping them. Okay. And I had my own uh, kind of experiences on the bad side of that. So I was just like WTF. Um, and then through that, I started looking around because being a ridiculous nerd, again, I came in with like 28 credit hours of uh, AP classes. Um, <laughs> so I test out a couple of different electives. And one of them that I found was human factors and ergonomics. Dun, dun, dun. So okay. That's what I do now. Yeah. Okay. So tell it, tell our audience what that means. That means that uh, anything that you have an experience with, uh, whether it is on your phone, whether it's a physical object, whether it's the chair you're sitting in, um, a heads-up display, video game control, anything like that, where a human is interacting with something that is man-made, uh, I basically work to make things easier for you to use. So I am on the human side. There's some other people that so I do like human interaction. Other people do like computer human or systems human instead of human systems, human computer. And the distinction on that is that I work with the humans more. And I basically look over like their cognitive, you know, perception, um, you know, like what is considered to be like the the traits and things that you look for. So like Western countries, you know, you put the most prominent information on the top left corner because you read left to right, top to bottom. Um, so there's like cultural socio items as well as just like how your brain per- uh, perceives things, how your mind you know, kind of thinks through things and the mental models it takes to work through all that items. And then I will bring in people to basically test out the tech. And then based upon kind of those rules of thumb, you know, as well as what they're doing and how they perform with it and work with the design teams and with the product teams in order to create an improved system or product that is actually easier and more intuitive for users to use. Wow. <laughs> wow that is you know I, I i didn't i never gave it much thought but the just thinking about it and how you're describing it there is yeah because we do we all interact with technology and and it's constantly changing and improving and there is a lot of cultural differences in how we interact interact with technology mm-hmm. that's really But it's not it's not limited to technology. Um, You've ever walked up to a door and you thought you needed to push it instead of pull it. I like that's totally (laughs) part of it. I like our our shop um, is is a pull door, but it has a push handle. Um, Like it has like the bar across instead of like a thing to grab. 
And mm-hmm. it, it, I got to the point where I just prop the door open and leave it open all day <laughs> because people would try to push instead of pull, but then like wouldn't think to do the opposite and would literally walk away because they thought my door was locked. And my favorite, my favorite part of it is, is there are two pull stickers that say pull, like one of them at eye level, the other, like if you're looking down at the bar to grab it right there as well. And still just boom. So uh, the the problem with that Joe is that you guys have put them in the most likely locations for someone to see them. So therefore no one will ever see them. (laughs) No, it's not their fault. It's actually the door designers fault because they didn't involve somebody like me to work with them. Exactly. It's never the user's fault, except for when it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, so you, so you started, you figured out this this study as you were kind of already in college and kind of switched over. Yeah. So I was just taking those classes, and the more I was taking them, the more I was realizing, like, so I did a bunch of like scientific rigor type stuff, right, with marine biology, where you can at least like you know have variables, test out different conditions, see how things go. Um, Like, that was my middle school project that I went to the Discovery Channel for. My high school project was focused on using uh, artificial substrates uh, as a substitute or adjunct for live rock. So I was basically, like, putting down fake structures of different kind of densities and, like, compositions into, like, the coral reef areas. And basically living, having them in there for a while and trying to do it around events at times, too. And then popping it out. And then I'd try and raise them in different conditions in the lab. To see like how what I can basically keep, what I can keep growing, what I can kind of create more items with, uh, what types of stuff do you pick up with the different items? So yeah, I mean like you could collect variables, analyze, and like it's not very uh, ethical to do that to people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, mm. yeah. So I took one of the the electives. I was looking to see what else was out there that was a little bit more like you know I could do more. In terms of that and there's mm-hmm. like cognitive science and some things like that and i was really interested in that as well as like neuropsychology um but yeah the human factors kind of got me because it's just it's a universal kind of concept that goes across different types of domains and you can basically anything that you interact with is something that's human factors related so you can use those principles and work in like any domain period like at all from like websites to video games to unmanned systems, like seriously. Huh. I imagine yeah. that it, that goes in, into things like advertising and stuff like that and how people how people view like social media and stuff like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Um, I'm sorry, will you? Nope, go for uh, it. <laughs> what what is something that people interact with on a daily basis that they wouldn't necessarily think that what you do would plumb to play with that? Um well there's any number of things, I guess, like door handles, locks, light switches, um, the way that your stove is organized, where you would kind of put the controls versus which burner is assigned to it, uh, your microwave use. Um, oh, one thing that's actually fun. My current boss, he did industrial design. One of the places he did it at was a Kodak. So he was one of the ones who did those, like, you remember, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, the the green, wavy kind of cameras that were, like, the simple packs or something like that? Yes. He created a design for that. He designed it. It's in his portfolio. So, like, very cool. Yeah, like, literally every and anything. (laughs) That is really, like, 
yeah, the more you think about it, the more your brain like expands, you know, yeah. into just that how much we interact with. Well, mm -hmm. well, I I believe as the the only lefty of the show, the Ooh. only left-handed person I'm on the lefty. show. I'm lefty. <laughs> Can we just talk about how the entire world is against us? Yes. <laughs> because it is. Yes. It is. Statistically speaking, it is. We have a higher chance of dying at an earlier age than righties. Wow, this went dark quick. What's <laughs> <laughs> so it's Love like you. in our <laughs> so it's like in our in our old house, um, the stove was like up against the one wall. And if you were right-handed and you, you know, were stirring, you could stir with your right hand and hold the pot with your left hand and it was no problem. But if you're doing it left-handed, I was constantly slamming my elbow into the wall or, you know, it just, it was. See, and you know what else? If you think about notebooks, they're totally made oh. for right-handed people as oh, well I used, as pens. I, because pens work best when you drag them, not when you push them. And we yes. push only right um yeah. I, I i remember as a kid going to the left-handed store in saint augustine and uh my my mom bought a ton of left-handed notebooks uh that's and, awesome and and a few unfortunate left-handed propaganda t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> is it really propaganda though <laughs> okay, it's okay left-handed facts but you know when you're in like middle school early high school you know, wearing the T-shirt that says "Only left-handers are in their right mind." It's not ah, as cool. Ah, as, ah. It's not as cool as your mom thinks it would be. See, that's I thought a, that that's was a cool. Geek point, sir. I mean, like, it's <laughs> funny, but you know, as long as you have a corpus callosum intact, it's not necessarily true. So, fun fact there. <laughs> that's 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 yeah. Yep. You have a point there. <laughs> 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 so, so are are you out while you're doing your your user experiences are, are you making sure to stick up for us lefties so that you know we don't die at younger ages because of accidents absolutely one of the big things actually that i do whenever it comes to like physical products um is actually taking the lefty versus righty into effect as well as like you know where to market the item is going to go so when it comes to like button spacing things like that um, it also has to worry, you have to worry about translation. So, uh, German is the common one where, uh, you'll get those super long words. So keeping in mind, like, where is this product going? What languages is it going into? Um, but also when it comes to, uh, just manipulating things, um, I'm actually working on a product right now where there's discussion about lefties versus righties and how the lefty is getting, they're basically going to get screwed, uh, you know, on one direction, which mm. we're not going with, luckily. But like that was one of the things we actually uh, had some CAD file mockups showing like the dimensions of the people and the way that they'd have to move because we can't do it in person right now. But uh, <clears throat> we actually aim for hitting between like the 1.5 percentile and the 98.5 percentile of uh, human dimensions. The the standard is at minimum 5% to 95th percentile um, of whatever your demographic is that you want to be testing for. So there's a bunch of different um, sites and books and calculations for that. And obviously, each region is different. So like APJ, people tend to be shorter. Um, North Europe tend to be taller. There's a little bit more of a spread out variance in America. Um but fun fact, the median height of the North American female is five foot four inches. That is me. So I'm not short. And Kayla, I'm pretty sure you're my height. So you're not short either. 
We're medium, babe. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually quite, a, I'm, I'm actually taller than that. I'm actually five seven. Um, huh. But, but the funny part about it is, I, uh, so I would be considered someone above average by those numbers. Um, mm-hmm. I come up from a family where I am the only one that is under six foot, <laughs> including the women. Well, um, I mean, look at Mary, right? Right. And my older, <laughs> my older sister shorter than me. My younger sister's taller than me. Mm-hmm. So I have a big little sister. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I was the one that always got called short and short stuff and all of those terrible uh, things that people do to to people that they consider short. Um, and then kind of got out into the real world and went, wait a sec. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it's been this weird, weird duplicity that I've had in my life with that. I've had kind of a, a crisis of height. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well I still get made fun of all the time because I live with uh Aaron and he's like six two-ish I want to say so he'll like put shit in the kitchen out of my reach we had to actually go and get a stepladder because of it because I was climbing on the counters to get stuff yep yeah he was like are you possessed or something why are you doing that <laughs> I'm like I can't reach it she's she's strong, strong. she can climb yeah, we have to have that. We have to do that too because we live with the boys, and and both both the boys are. I mean, Jeremy is is what like five three six, now, six four or six six. I think he's six three now. Um, what? Yeah, you haven't seen Jeremy in a while. He's a giant. Um, and, and Jason's about what? six foot. I remember him when he was baby Link. Yes, yes, <laughs> he is. He is now a big giant, not Link anymore. He's he, it's ridiculous. He's so big. Um, but he's like got that he knows it too he's got these like broad shoulders and the triangle thing going on and like he you know casually reaches up and changes the light bulb in the ceiling and just <laughs> yeah so so we live with giants and joe and i are about the same height <laughs> it gets interesting around here <laughs> hey but you know what you can take them out faster at the knees so <laughs> this is true <laughs> Um, but yeah, it is a farther I, fall. <laughs> the downside is I taught him to fight. So. Yeah, it's gonna be used against you, KK. Yep, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, so yeah, they're like we we specifically look for that in my field, um, like righties, lefties. Um, there's also something that uh, people become specialists in if they want to do it for accessibility. So that is more so lefty righty. Uh, if there's any physical, mental impairments, um, color blindness, things like that. Very cool. So this is this once you found that course of study, that was it. You just hit that trajectory, huh? Well, so when I found that, I started um, actually. I found a lab on campus that worked in it because I was like okay this sounds fascinating but a lot of times you know it'll be really cool to read but not necessarily as cool or what you think it is when you actually apply it Mm -hmm. so I started working in an army funded lab on campus and it was specifically working with heterogeneous assets on missions so there was unmanned ground vehicles and unmanned air vehicles and we're working basically on how to create the best team for um ultimate ultimate performance on uh like four to five hour long missions so we actually had a uh 136 scale uh mount which is uh what does this stand for mobile 
something urban terrain mobile. Hmm. Oh, okay. I just blanked on my own acronym. Um, <laughs> but it's, oh, you know, what? miniature operational urban terrain, I think is what it stands for. And it was basically a 136 scale <clears throat> of a city. And we had 136 scale, um, like, you know, I can fancy say that they're teleoperated uh, robots and devices. But I mean, they're basically, they're basically RC in terms of like, you know, you know, they had cameras on them and they were like the actual military device models. But, you know, when they're that small, I feel like it's not really, you know, a teleoperated semi-autonomous thing. I think it's, you know, but anyways, so we would have people come in and they did basically missions with the robots and in, inside the, um, the mock-up mini city. And so it was like, you're walking through the city for like setting things up for different scenarios and for different tests. And to like repair buildings and stuff when people crash into them because um, like the field of view isn't necessarily optimal or we're checking for something like that uh, while they're driving. And um, <laughs> like run up a wall or run over civilian like mock up people in there and stuff. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I started doing that and then I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Okay, I want to do it. And then I was taking, um, I jumped through enough hoops that I was allowed to start taking PhD courses um, while I was rounding out my undergrad. And um, so I basically got to know the cohort of people that started that year because I was taking a bunch of the intro classes with them. And uh, it was a cohort of eight people, but four dropped out. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Especially because like two of them I knew, one of them worked in the same lab as me. And I was like, what so I'm like pulling them over like what happened what happened like why are you leaving and the answer that I got is it's just not what I thought it was and I'm like what the hell does that mean (laughs) couldn't get a straight answer but because one of them was in my lab I was like shit um okay if I don't want to do this I need to know now so I started working uh for the army research laboratory I contracted with them and I basically got a a job and I took a year off to just legitimately just work in the field as um like a research assistant basically and making sure like all of the stuff that I wanted to do was accurate and you know like it actually is what I thought it was and it's not something new you know like the school sure maybe that's different but then you know like schooling is always schooling and it's going to be different than application Mm. so I got basically a job and uh yeah while I was doing it I was like yep this is exactly what I thought it would be. Okay, I'm not sure what they were smoking, but I'm going <laughs> to go for it. <laughs> All right. Yep. Wow. That's it. to every girl out there who thinks you can't be part of science. This woman right here and go back <laughs> and listen to Kelly's episode as well. Yay. Like this is I'm wow. Okay, so you took a year <clears throat> off, got a job, decided that this is really what you wanted to do. Yep. And how long ago was that? um 10 11 years ago oh wow okay yeah okay so then you went back and got all your stuff did the things so yeah so basically when i i spent a year doing that uh and then i you know after i realized this is what i wanted to do i was applying to different um masters and phd programs and um i got into a number of them so then i started kind of looking around to see like what each one was which one i wanted to go for um there is also which i don't know in retrospect how how much it really matters where you go to school um i guess unless you're strictly academic for like your undergrad your master's your phd so i kept on getting told by a lot of people like 
oh, you can't do the three in the same place, even though you got accepted into the programs and they're good programs, but because you did your undergrad there, it's not good, doesn't look good on your resume, blah, blah, blah. Retrospect, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but at the time there was, so I was looking a bit more outward instead of staying in Florida. Uh, and where I wound up going was to San Jose State in California because it's in the middle of Silicon Valley. And uh, basically the coursework was geared more towards um, like Silicon Valley stuff, you know, like uh, websites, apps, software, um, video games, you know, things like that, right? So I was like, okay, all of my experience so far has been very like academic or like ivory tower type things, you know, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of it had to deal with um, doing waterfall style testing. So waterfall style testing is you take like a long period of time to get everything approved and set up and then you run the experiments and then you basically get all of this deluge of data that takes you a while to like kind of sort through, go through. And you can usually get a couple of different um, papers out of that. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you basically grab your topics that you want to propose the white papers for to get the funding to do for the next round, basically. Um, and a lot of the Silicon Valley things, because they're not like, you know, they're not federally restricted in certain ways. Like, <laughs> you know, because like a website, if you change it, it's not going to affect like somebody's life or death possible decision in a combat field. <laughs> You know, okay. There's, okay. there's a lot more leeway and you can actually do um, agile testing. And that's more like um, they do like two week sprints. And so like instead of being on like months at a time to have anything, you can do stuff much more rapidly. And the types of testing that you're doing is different methodologies, because, again, it's not necessarily a life or death thing. It's not something that's a federal regulation on it. So you can do different types of testing and do it more quickly, more often, faster, um, and do explore different kind of um, just ways to test because you have the ability to kind of move through it rapidly and kind of keep moving forward. Or the other one you really need to, it, it honestly takes like easily a month, if not more, to just go through all the paperwork and to get all your proposal things in and then get signed off by the IRB. And then, you know, you know what I mean? Like go through all the different processes and red tape in order to get the approval. Um, so, <clears throat> so I thought, hey, this would be cool because, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> because um, this, school, this school program is more focused on that. And basically, like one of the things that the school has you do is you basically have a portfolio when you exit um, because in all the different classes, it's kind of like an experiential learning thing where you have to take what they're teaching and apply it. And um, the teachers are really good with like, you know, working with local companies and stuff like that to get approval to basically like, you know, if you do a heuristic evaluation on a website, you can turn it into them and then they can give you feedback on like how it was useful if it wasn't useful, like that sort of a thing. Uh -huh. So at the end of it, you actually have like a pretty solid like portfolio that you can kind of shop around in the area if you wanted to work with it. And it's all industry focused. Nice. Um, yeah. So when I applied there, I also got a position at NASA Ames and I was like, perfect. So I can continue to do my unmanned research. And, you know, at the same time, I'm getting my degree. So I'll get the academic stuff and I'll get the industry stuff and then I can kind of see where I want to go. So I, I worked briefly, uh, and I, by briefly, I mean for about 10, 11 years as a web designer. And I think the one company, my my last title was, well, one of my last titles was 
user interface engineer, uh, but then they, they switched it to front-end developer. But uh, you mentioned Agile, and uh, I had flashbacks mm -hmm. to stand-ups and scrums and Kanban. Yep. And... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and that's like... something that I deal with now, actually. Um, and different teams have different timelines. So fun times, for sure. <laughs> I am going to give Joe a geek point for saying a bunch of words I don't understand, but Caitlin <laughs> did, which means they're cool. <laughs> yes. I, I have don't to, feel bad, KK. I will, I'm on the outside on that one, too. Okay. I, I, I have to say, though, from, from working in that system and then not working in that system, I... There were some of the things I, that I saw in that system for web development that I'm like, this doesn't make sense for us, but like the use of the Kanban board uh, and and that situation, like really uh, when we moved to, when I moved to a new uh, new company and they were doing very everything very, very traditional, um, it, it made me miss my Kanban board and knowing what was being done and who was working on what. So another reason why y'all should move out to California is like Kanban <laughs> is everywhere. <laughs> like in in a well, what is it the the crossfit what is it crossfit cube or something like that right friend took a picture of it and sent it to me they had a kanban board set up for like who's doing what exercise at what time <laughs> moving forward at what stats they had their own card with their own stats they got updated as they got moved i was like this is so california right now <laughs> but like, yeah well what's what's yep. the bottleneck and where's the roadblock with your exercise man <laughs> you were definitely able to figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> wow. It's because Steve's taken too long on the rope thing. <laughs> That's, it, it's so funny because in my days of, of being a gym rat, I, I had a notebook and a pencil <laughs> and I wrote stuff down that I did stuff. And you guys are like, I don't even. How, okay. <laughs> They've got people hooked up with wires to machines. Right. <laughs> Only they oh, now tested that. this out. Cool. Did you yeah. actually get to do the million dollar man thing? <laughs> um, I did, but for neuro stuff, I didn't do it for running. Did okay. it for neuro stuff and for some um uh some body movements in general while using things in a training situation. Um I was, I was so upset because when I was at NASA, I wrote my thesis there. And in the lab next door, there was the human centrifuge one to simulate like the G's and stuff. And they did all of the like astronaut stuff for coming back and going into to prepare the body for going to space. And they had a human centrifuge study that I wanted to take place in. And I got on the list. And then unfortunately, like it ran the same time I was running my thesis. So I had to give up my spot. And Aww. I was so upset. Because I wanted to go human centrifuge. <laughs> Wait, you worked there and you couldn't say, hey, look, uh, just for fun. No, unfortunately, because um, that one. So NASA Ames is actually kind of cool because there's like it has the world's largest vertical motion simulator. It has the world's largest wind tunnel. It has like a bunch of really super sweet stuff. And it will get booked out in advance and it will get booked out additionally by like private groups. So like I remember going into work and seeing like semi trucks being raised up into the air, the wind tunnel, basically. And they look like little toy cars. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. But because of that, all of the super cool stuff, you basically had to um, schedule out months in advance because private companies would also want to use the equipment to do their own tests for stuff. So it wasn't like, sup, can I just like sit in there and try it out one day? Because they were booked in advance and everything was like scheduled out. And yeah, it was super, super unfortunate. But um, actually, I know at least two of the three of you are on my Facebook. Um, If you dig into like my old albums, I have like this whole album about... um, when I got to go around to different areas at NASA and there's like just crazy stuff there. I think I remember you originally posting pictures of that and I was like, Kew! yeah, pictures <laughs> and there's some video. Cause like Very if you cool. go all the way into the end of the, the world's largest wind tunnel and you clap your hands, for instance, it sounds like you're firing off a laser gun. And uh, I got really ridiculously excited about it and had to record that. And then I got like the serious scientist <laughs> you know and i'm like gotta have fun with it like right? that's half of it right it's, it's so um <laughs> i mean the human centrifuge it's, it's gravitron for science it you is have to have fun <laughs> it is i like that i never thought of that before but that's amazing gravitron <laughs> for science <laughs> and that's okay. a geek i was gonna geek say hey, that, yeah. hey, that's a geek point <laughs> yeah um so I- I was just going to suggest, you know, next time, next time Caitlin's in town, and if there's a fair going on, <laughs> I'll buy the tickets for the Gravitron. There we go. Hell yes, we can see all those people fun flipping upside down and going across things. There remember, we go. Remember that as a kid. I yes. love that shit. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Until, but so, until the, so, the stoner in the center gets angry at you and's like, "Hey, do you want to get kicked out of here?" <laughs> I uh, yeah. I actually had I I unfortunately um had my gravitron experiences cut I'm very sorry, short. That's, my dog. <laughs> that's fine, totally fine. Um, I uh sustained an injury in my early teens that made it so that I could not really like handle that kind of force on my chest for a while. So there As was in a... you got your massive testicles or something uh, else. Well, no, I I got those <laughs> at the same time. Um, I'm giving that a gay point. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, those those came in pretty early. Um, But no, I actually um, because I had before mentioned that I was kind of a gym rat, um, and I was a gym rat from kind of a very early age, which probably looking back on it wasn't all that great. Um, But I I had an accident where I had too much weight put on a a a bench bar um, and came down on my chest too fast and tore the cartilage between my breastbone and my ribs. Oh no, Hmm. that's horrible. Yeah, real bad. Um, and so yeah, my my experiences with Gravitrons got cut short because of that, because it took years and years to like completely heal. And I I you know, I thought I was healed. It was like a couple of years later, thought I was healed, tried to go on a Gravitron, almost died. Like the pain was for real intense and i have not been on one since so now it's like okay i'm in my 40s it's there's a lot of padding there it's got to be healed enough now (laughs) we need to go do this now now we just can't go to fairs right (laughs) no she said she wants to try it we have to go now it's for science guys we need to find out right right against you yeah yeah it's I, I, I guess if a fair sets up and no one else is there, then we can go. But we'll go. We'll book a private room just for just for science for me and Caitlin to go for science. 
right. No boys allowed either. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Joe and I will be fine in the food court. <laughs> I'm buying corn dogs, Will. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down for one of those gigantic cheeseburgers on a, on a fried donut. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, I can feel the arteries hardening. <laughs> yeah. So, so Gravitron for science. Um yep. and and got to do all of that cool shit and and writing yep. thesis while at NASA. Goddamn girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? Here's where I'm going to like do the ridiculous hair flip and do say it. check out my Google Scholar page. <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't even know there was such a thing until you told me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a list of publications upon request as well as tech reports, <laughs> and then there's stuff I can't say. So, yeah. Okay, a geek point for the fact that she's piling on. <laughs> as, if, as if, you know, working for the Army and doing cool shit like that. Nope, then I went to NASA. Nope, and then I did my thesis while I was at NASA because just being at NASA is not enough. <laughs> oh, there it is. Joe put it up in the chat. <gasps> what did you put up in the chat? Your Google Scholar thingy. Uh, yeah, man. Ooh, I've officially done nothing with my life. There's, <laughs> right? There's this whole, like, you get it, and it, it gives you this whole, like, this link will take you to Scholar Google, da-da-da. Are you sure you want to go? Like, it's a big deal? Like... <laughs> uh, it's just a list of all the peer-reviewed publications, basically. Uh, and then I think it links to, like, citations, and, like, I think it shows some stats for which papers cited which amount of times over the years and which one is like the most cited, which I think the most cited one is um, probably either one of my NASA papers or one of my army research lab papers. Cause there was like human robot contract information and trust and automation with varying levels of like errors made in the uh, semi-autonomous vehicles. Um, So there's like a whole trust and automation. And then like, what is the, what is the percentage of errors that can be occurred inside the system and a scenario that's like simulated out um, where people still trust the system and will let the system take on more of the workload burden. So I was talking with like, we did four and eight different vehicles that uh, one person was semi-autonomously um, controlling. So it was basically like, what is the amount of errors threshold that is okay? What types of errors are okay? Um, that sort of a thing. So it was like a human robot contract of trust type of a situation. Oh, wow. um, that one or one of the there, you're, unmanned you're, aircraft systems in the national airspace you're, uh, at NASA. You're, you're cited by, you're, you have a tie now for uh, 16 each uh, with the effects of unreliable automation and individual differences on supervisory control of multiple ground robots and mm-hmm. effectiveness, effectiveness of stereoscopic displays for indirect vision driving a robot teleoperation. Boom. Okay, so those are both Army Research Lab ones. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at this, and, and I see now that you, you, you are at the Aberdeen Proving Ground. I have to know, did you see something get shot by a missile? <laughs> you know, Because that's the only, that is the only coolest happens. thing that happens out there. <laughs> is that one um, of the things you can't talk about? <laughs> no, this is one of the sad things that because at that time I was a contractor, 
in the lab. I wasn't officially hired by the army. I wasn't able to go on that trip. So I set everything up and did like remote support and did all the analysis and helped with the paper write up, but I didn't actually get to go out there for the testing, unfortunately. Uh, but I did do all of the testing for development in um, in the RDECOM Orlando. Um, and it was, we got to basically use the robot for that, um, the stereoscopic driving one. So we named him Ernie Five unofficially, the research team, <laughs> uh-huh. um, because um, I thought he looked more like Wally, and she thought he looked more like Johnny Five. And it was oh, basically okay. when, his, when his arms were out, and when the camera modules were out versus when they were all plugged in, uh, is when it looked more like one versus the other. So we named him Ernie Five. Uh, and that was because the original robot we were going to use uh, was called Gamalore. Um, but it kind of sucked and the axle broke and it wasn't working right. And um, so my no. my research person or my my, my co-worker at the time, um, she, she was like, he should not have such an epic name as Gamalore. I'm going to name him Bert. <laughs> <laughs> so we named the new one Ernie 5 because Bert and Ernie and then Johnny 5 and then Wall E. There so you go. Ernie 5. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, for that one, we actually used two different types of stereoscopic um, tests that we were doing. So that's basically like 3D uh, because the, the visuals that you usually get from unmanned systems, they're really flat. You don't really get a good sense of depth perception because they're recorded by one camera. So it's like looking at it with one eye. And a lot of actually uh, one of the main issues that people have that's like a non-combat related thing with um, unmanned systems is actually the field of view is usually super small that they get from the scope that combined with delays that it takes just obviously from the camera feed to get back to you in addition to you know like that super flat where you can't really see much and you can't get that depth perception because there's only one eye basically looking at it Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times the vehicles will get driven into or uh, like into terrain obstacles or like off cliffs, depending upon where they're going or, you know, basically fall into places. And then it's like millions of dollars of um, unfortunate things that happen. So one of the ways that uh, the army is looking to kind of address that is using basically 3D systems for teleoperating robots. And so we were looking at two different systems. One of them was like a static display. So you basically had polarized glasses and you had a polarized screen. Um, and then the other one was actually, um, you might get a kick out of this. Uh, it was an NVIDIA set and it was one where you could actually use shutter lenses. So they're called active because the lenses are actively clicking open and closed to do the polarization for both eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could actually adjust the stereoscopic acuity on it. So you could basically say the level of um, like how sensitive you wanted it to be versus you know, for each person. The other one was set. You had to sit in a specific distance. You had to sit at a specific height because it was all static. But the other one, because you had the active lenses and you could adjust that on the display, you could kind of move wherever. And uh, you could also adjust the acuity, which is a big thing because have you ever had a headache when you go and see a 3D movie in theaters? Yes. You yeah, know like why? right after. Because it's not Wanna adjusted for why? your eyes. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's a good point. <laughs> yay. <laughs> so it's because it's because of the stereoscopic acuity, um, and this is basically how sensitive are you to seeing things in three D. Which fun fact, not everybody can see. Um, 
but you can train yourself to to see it which is kind of cool um but it's because whenever they make sort of mass media they tend to go towards the younger crowd because a lot of the 3d movies a lot of the 3d things they're they're going they know that it's going to be experienced by kids and like early teens basically so they will default the acuity level to be one for kids so uh kids tend to have um less acuity so they they're less sensitive basically so the images are spaced further apart and adults tend to be more acute or more sensitive to it so you need to put the images closer on top of each other um so if you have them too far apart you're going to get issues with getting headaches uh motion sickness as well as uh, ghosting, quote-unquote. So that's basically when it looks like you see two images, one on top of the other. And you shouldn't get that when the um, the settings are made correctly. So that was part of wanting to see, like, what way does it better so that the drivers, you know, won't experience that. Not really surprising, the one that you could adjust individually for each person was the one that won in that case. Um, but yeah, so it's huh. super cool. So, so Sounds like a really long explanation to say, you're just old. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna no. say, you know, they no, they they did thing. her acuity is better than children's, but we cater to children's and the masses. I was gonna say instead of sci-fi, where they just like hire kids to do military missions, they, you know, we have kids playing video games. You know, um, but yeah, that's no Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, there. Thank you. Um. Uh, it's uh there's also the um oh man just totally fell out of my head i hate my brain sometimes um the kid the boy the uh there's a line of books and the things that turned into other things help me it was the grass that turned into snakes and the the beings that turned into trees and somebody's gonna know somebody in the chat is gonna know and i'm gonna remember three o'clock in the morning and it was a kid that did the thing and xenocide the name of the book was xenocide it's the oh crap i can't remember the series but yeah it was basically the same kind of a thing where they had uh kids Uh, that were were in the ender's game series ender's game thank you jesus Good lord, that was a long way to go for that. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> My keyword search sucks. <laughs> Gotta get that database checked out. Seriously. If I'm only we had an aeronomics expert to uh, help you out with that. <laughs> well, since we bring that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, so then after that, I went into industry because I wanted to see what it was like before I pigeonholed myself into doing unmanned systems for government work. Um, and I worked at HP for a bit. I worked at a French photography startup for a bit. I worked back with the Navy for a bit and I'm currently with Thermo Fisher Scientific. So what do you want to get into? Oh boy. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, so so what are you what are you working? Can you talk can you talk to us about what you are working on right now? Um I can high level talk to you about what I'm working on now. 
Alrighty. All Let's do that. I'm part of the Life Sciences Solutions Group um, at Thermo Fisher Scientific. And I work on a variety of things from basically helping out on some website stuff to um, their cloud apps to the physical instruments that they that they create for scientists to use to the embedded interfaces that are on those instruments to how the automation works inside the instruments to how it is connected to desktop apps or cloud apps to um, those apps themselves in terms of like how they're engineered and then as well as the mobile apps for some of the ones that will let you do like remote reading or setup of stuff um yeah and i i i'm currently because i'm in the carlsbad california office um the group work that happens out here is mainly doing um i guess mainly doing more of like the life sciences items that are like the instruments so like um like i'm working on a CRISPR app item right now there's a qpcr instrument that's coming in um doing some liquid handling and some protein sample preparation type stuff um yeah and some of these instruments are actually like super fun and cool so one of them is i believe seek studio pro seven and nine um or quant studio quant studio pro i think yeah but um so that one is a qpcr so um that is quantitative polymerase chain reaction so it's part of the ways to do gene editing so with this one though some of the really cool stuff that i got to work on um there is voice control for setting things up, opening things without needing your hand. And there's also facial recognition software. So it will recognize that it's you as you're walking up to the instrument to put your samples in. And then it will basically like get all your settings ready and like have your items up so that you can kind of put your samples in, hit the button and go. Um, So there's some really nifty ergonomic things that I got to do there in terms of uh, when they're doing the models with like making sure that we hit that fifth 95th percentile um, trying different angles depending upon the different heights, seeing the distance, stuff like that. Um, and there's an interesting thing that we saw in terms of um, a lot of times people, when they first set it up, they smiled and they didn't have their glasses on because they were just like super excited and they want everybody set it up all at the same time. And then in use, though, they'd walk over and they wouldn't be smiling because it's like, I need to get my work done. <laughs> and they'd have mm-hmm. on like their lab goggles and so we actually had to specify in like the um, the UBI, this super, super fun acronym that is probably my favorite. It means out of box experience, um, ah. O-O-B-E. So UBI. In the UBI, we had to provide instructions as to like how they needed to take their photos. So they needed to have a smiling, a non-smiling and goggles on so that, um, you know, the machine learning could basically put that together. And um, but yeah, that was pretty funny in terms of like, it didn't recognize people when they were smiling versus when they weren't all the time. Like some of the time it did, some of the time it didn't. Mm. So like yes. that was just, you know, an interesting kind of situation there. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. You know, I guess you wouldn't think about that right away. Like your it's face is a face, but face yeah. changes considerably with expression well, and glasses and stuff. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, I know when you go get your like passport, like, they are very specific. Your passport picture can't have you smiling. Because mm-hmm. it changes it's how true. you look. Yeah. yeah. 
Plus, who, who just spent, you know, eight hours or 20 hours on a flight and is going to be smiling? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> when, I, when, I got my, my, when I got my photo taken from my passport, the guy actually looked at me and said, imagine that you're about to go into a, uh, a jail somewhere in the middle of nowhere. That's the expression that you want on your face for this picture. Uh, that's a very yeah. specific um, um, it, so it was a very specific thing and it, he was absolutely right in, in talking with people it's yeah because when they're examining pictures you're not you know happy I'm getting ready to go on a trip you're always I'm in the worst place ever <laughs> so I actually heard something similar from Claymore I was, uh, saw one of his, his uh, concealed weapons uh, permit license mm -hmm. whatever uh -huh. uh, and I was like, why do you look so fucking angry in this? <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you think my reaction is going to be if I get pulled over by a cop and they want to see my concealed weapons permit? <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> he said that, yeah, they, they do the same sort of prompting when they take the picture. That's just crazy. Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, and for those listening, yes, we have a friend named Claymore. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess I never thought of that. Um, I, I have one license; it is to drive. Um, and the nothing picture, to kill. nothing to kill. No, no licensing for anything interesting. Um, and the picture's like 15 years old, and it was in my like rockabilly phase. I don't know why that picture is still. Probably just because I haven't gone and got another picture taken. <laughs> totally does not look like me. Well, to remind you, you you need to make an appointment to go get your. License. I do. I do. <laughs> my um, license is expiring on my birthday. Need to go do that. Yeah, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, B dubs, by the way. Uh, I'm. I never thought I would say this, but I miss Florida DMVs. Um, oh, whoa! Because California ones are like even crazier. In addition to, they don't give you a freaking printed out license when you go there. They give you a sheet of paper. That is a temporary paper license. And then like two to four weeks later, you get your actual license in the mail. Wow. Right? Wow, that's uh, crazy. I was I... like, why don't you just print them out here? They're like, because it doesn't work that way. I'm like, but it does in Florida. I got this like weirdest look. And then like when I told that to Aaron, he because he always makes a joke. Um, Aaron's the boyfriend, by the way, for those of you listening that don't yes. know me. Um but he looks at me and he's just like, I told you, Caitlin, it's an entirely different country. They have strange customs out there that we just don't do in the United States. <laughs> like, even when I lived in New York and, and, and got my license, it was I left that day with my, my, my driver's license. Yeah. Uh, nope. Although they, when I, when I changed my registration over from Florida to New York, they collected my tag. But when I changed back, when I moved down here there, I was like, do I need to give you my New York tags? No, nah, we don't care about those. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. So you yep. do you still have your New York tag? Uh probably in storage somewhere. <laughs> Tags, because there's one on the front and back. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Everywhere else in the world does front and the back. You know? we, we we live in Florida <laughs> where everything's weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't I I would feel so odd walking out of the DMV with like my temporary paper. driver's this license paper. 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 Just print it out. I would be I would be terrified to get pulled over. Like I have this yeah. piece of paper. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's, it's yeah, no. I don't like it at all. Uh, nope, don't like it. Dislike. Do not like. <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah. So, okay. 
So yeah, you are you are doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, yep. and I I happen to know that you have some pretty cool hobbies. Yes. Um, but we haven't spoken in a bit, so I don't know if you are still practicing uh, said hobby slash hobbies. Um, I know that okay. at one point I know that you were doing some taiko drumming. Yep. Are you still doing that? Um, not really with COVID. Uh, but there is a group down in San Diego that um I've been doing practicing with and starting to go through the vetting process to hopefully possibly one day maybe perform with them and such. And they're called okay. Narwan Taiko. Okay. Still do that. Yep. Very cool. What else are you up to these days, Madam Incredible Science Nerd person? <laughs> um, so I've been doing Ren Fairs on and off. Um, but when I have been doing them out here, I've actually been doing um, historical reenactment instead of just Renaissance Fairs. So the there are guilds out here and they study like specific areas, specific time frames, specific um, like battles and actions and stuff. Okay. And California is huge on reenacting, which I didn't really realize until I got out here. Huh. Um, but there will be like literally reenactor events only for reenactors. So like everybody comes with their period authentic kit, their period authentic like, you know, camp setup, everything. Um, all of your utensils, all of your food, everything has to be period correct. There's people with like, they're weaving, they're making tapestries, they're like cooking things, they're making like, um, you know, whatever that they need to use. There'll be occasionally vendors that sell like the period authentic pottery or like um, water canteens or stuff like that. Um, But it's you literally like you're not allowed to have a phone out. Um, if there's like an absolute emergency, there's a couple of people that I saw that had like they made a leather bound book cover so that it, you know, it looked like it was, you know, a book, not your phone. Um, so but if you did have an emergency, for instance, that popped up, you'd still be able to like access the phone. Uh-huh. Um, but like you're not allowed to have any of that out there. Everything has to be period authentic. Wow. Um, there are, um, one of my favorite ones was called School for the Renaissance Soldier. And it was uh, basically like you camped out there and you were um, first you spend the first day training. And so you like march up and down like the foothills in California and you're like doing all these different types of training and going in formations and pike and sword and uh, musket and stuff. And so then the second day you actually split up into different groups and then you're like basically you know here's your here's the area we're trying to defend and then you know they all attack and go after each other um but you're like all alone out in the middle of nowhere um nobody like there's nobody there watching you you're doing it strictly for the period authenticity like that's what you're getting the kicks from and um like yeah no it's it's really cool because like people even go down to the point of they make their own like wooden bed with like the rope slats and they have the skins and like hand sewn clothing and like everything wow um, i always really wanted insane and cool i always wanted to make a, a a period bed like we we worked pretty hard and i mean like what you're describing is far in a way more intense than what we ever did uh at ren fairs and and stuff like that but i i worked as hard as i could to make my tent at least look somewhat period on the inside because i did have a panther um Mm -hmm. but i always wanted to make like the the rope slat bed thing like i Mm -hmm. I was just always fascinated by that that's super cool yeah and then there's other events where um 
there's like recreation of battles. So um, like there's a Renaissance festival out here in Southern California called Cronenberg. And one of the things that they specialize in, um, or at least the last the last time I did it out there at fair, um, they, they reenacted the Battle of Pavia. And it was something that actually had to be done like months in advance where like all the different people that were fighting came out. They were all segmented out on like what type of uh, soldier they were. And then split into the two armies. Um, and it was basically like one person stood in for this many people in the actual battle. And uh-huh. there was like a historical interpreter that was like walking in and out of how they were fighting to like explain what happens at this situation. And this is what happened at that situation. And this is how many people were really there. And, you know, like this is the dry, hot California sun. But, you know, back then it was this type of a situation and um, like basically explaining the entire battle as like the people were reenacting it wow Um, and that was like so freaking cool um yeah so it was like legit full-on reenacting and there's a historical interpreter explaining all of it um and i was a drummer in the middle of that so it was like really cool um because i got to be basically center formation for a lot of stuff (laughs) neat (laughs) yep yep um but so so that i'm kind of on and off doing um with that i've also started picking up um a couple of different Rando things like leatherworking, um, doing some needleworking, actually. Um, pretty good, actually, I'm finding out at... Because, like, I like to draw. So I'm pretty good at, like, doing, like, embroidery work, like, drawing. Um, like, I only know, like, uh, like Holbein stitch and another stitch, basically, for how to go through and do the period authentic stitches. But, like, when I go through it, like, I'm painting it. But just in the patterns, it works out really good. Um, one of those reenacting events, I learned actually how to play some German drinking games that are period authentic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, fun! So, um, I'm like now you have my out. attention. <laughs> yeah. so, so I've embroidered out like <laughs> called a Glückhaus board, and um, it's like a money changing drinking game um, in German, and it looks kind of like hopscotch, um, but it's uh, you basically toss the money in and roll the dice type of a situation. So, like, it's really cool. Um, so I still do the art stuff, though it's kind of, like, hit or miss here and there. Um, before COVID hit, I was signing up to be a, a tide pool interpreter um, at Cabrillo State Memorial. It's just basically, like, a, a giant park, and part of it is the Cabrillo National Monument. Part of it is there is a, um, a cemetery uh, for armed forces. And then in the National Monument Park, there's actually, because it's basically on the tip of a peninsula, um, there's just a whole stuff of like crinoids and like tide pools and like all these awesome stuff down there, basically. Um, actually, not crinoids. Crinoids are not in tide pools. I retract that statement. Um, <laughs> but basically, there's like you know lovely trails that you can hike on and areas you can go through and then at like various spots there's people that are volunteering and they basically like tell you about the ecosystem and like what stuff you'll find and this is when the high tide is this is when the low tide is if you want to go check out the tide pools this is where you should go here's a little card with like what you might see down there and just like you know kind of patrol and help out so i started to do training for that before covid hit so was really excited but oh like you know <laughs> the training and then I got to hang out in one of the stations um and 
yeah, so that I'll have to circle back around on when it comes. Um, But I've also started to learn how to do um, aerial silks and hammock work. And I am so flipping awkward on a lot of stuff there. Definitely like a whole body workout, but it's so freaking cool. And I really, really like it. So shout out to Aerial Theory Fitness, San Marcos, California, for anybody who's listening. (laughs) <laughs> um because i love that gym it's awesome uh and they're very nice very caring and um you know i can fall on my face a couple of times and it's all good <laughs> that's cool that's cool that's it's something i've always been really really fascinated by um the whole aerial silk thing um and like the the you know kind of sister genres of like pole dancing and stuff like that um and I, I, I've always worried that I wouldn't be strong enough, you know, to yeah. do it. Um, so I'm not either. There are some people that are like ridiculously crazy insane um, and can like leave their legs out and like a V formation and they're just climbing like the rope with their hands basically. Oh, Jesus. They can go all the way up to the top, tag the little bell at the top, go all the way down, go back up and go down like a couple of times. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, I think I had some benefit because um haven't done this in a while but i was i used to do rock climbing and i could do a clean five nine and um like a lot of that i was learning is you need to utilize like your legs to power you and you use Mm -hmm. more of your hands for like balance so there's a number of things that i can that i can do that came pretty quickly with me um but like holding my body weight for an extended period of time nope can't do Um, but there's like all these ridiculous like training and um, conditioning that you can do. Um, so I take a flexibility class and then I was very scared for the longest of time to take the um, conditioning, strength and conditioning class because I was told by everybody that, quote, Sherry will break you. <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but seriously, she works your ass off. Um, and there's like a whole bunch of things that you wouldn't even expect that are like calisthenic based to like Uh get yourself conditioned and just like flexible. So you can actually hold the different poses. And, um, like I almost said reach around, but, uh, yeah, um, (laughs) like for the stuff where like, you know, you're, you're kind of bending upside down a little bit and you're like reaching around to grab your foot, like, you know, like you gotta be flexible enough to reach around and grab your foot. So (laughs) okay so i need to do more yoga (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but i mean like if you go to a good studio like they will teach you all of that and they usually have classes like spot classes like that that will help you to improve specific areas um and if you go to like a circus school they'll also have things like tumbling and like acro and like contortion stuff which you know they all help because they're all mm-hmm. like surprisingly holistic body type things. Yeah, I did a lot of that in my early days of sword fighting. Um, <laughs> not so much lately. <laughs> um, well, I would say you should try out aerial yoga, perhaps, because they use a silk hammock, and uh, the hammock stays at about your hip level, so you're never that far off the floor. Okay. And um, like they do a bunch of like regular yoga stuff that you either do inside the hammock or assisted with the hammock so you can like lean more into it and get more of a stretch and stuff Uh and then there's things like you can actually like invert yourself um Mm -hmm. and like you know so it helps with like your back and stuff and then yeah so it's it's pretty cool 
It's like silk slight. Um, okay, check out and Ariel it's much Yoga. More accessible. After much more COVID. accessible. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you are just all. How do you find? Okay, pre-COVID, how did you find the time? Um, to... Scheduling. <laughs> scheduling. There's, there's three of you, right? That's what you're not telling <laughs> us. Is there's actually a couple clones of you? Yes, yes, that is uh, currently part of my work right now. There you go. Uh. <laughs> That's really the purpose behind the genome editing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is wow, Caitlin. It it has been you have it's like I said, it's been it's been over ten years and wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but you wanna know okay, so if we're doing that, um, we didn't really touch on it, um, but I'm gonna make you jealous. Um okay. in like a super ridiculous way. Okay. Uh, so I worked at a French photography company for a while. Uh, and because it was French based or France based, I guess I should say, because it's a French company, um, mm -hmm. I actually had to go out there and spend two weeks at a time, kind of um, every other month in Paris. Oh, geez. Because that's, oh. Where, that's where my teammates were. Um, and so when we needed to do, so I'd be doing usability testing and such out in the United States. But when I went over there, I would also do it and bring like the designers and some of the product team members along. And because uh, it was basically, it's a, I think they called it like a compact connected camera, like professional quality camera. So it was a DSLR basically. And it had mm. six different camera lenses, but it was a small little thing about the size of like a deck of cards. And wow. it fit in your pocket and you would pop it onto the side of your phone. And then oh, wow. you could do all of the same things. And like, honestly, I had a Nikon that I took with me and like I stopped using the Nikon even down in the catacombs when I went in there because the DxO camera was just it was better than my my Canon. Wow. Um, so yeah. Um, so it's pretty awesome. But besides being out there in Paris because that's where the company and the team was, uh, whenever I would do like the testing, um, you know, a quick and easy way to tell like who you're testing do you like screening because that's part of it is you want to make sure you get the right users to test out the tech uh -huh. um but since this was a camera you know i had to go out to all of these beautiful like gorgeous locations in paris that are frequented as tourist attractions so that i could basically like screen out who had what type of camera how are they taking the photos and then basically at a glance get a feel for where they were on like the experience side as well as like what type of equipment and items they had so um you know i had to go to all of oh. those like all of those like super famous um tourist locations oh you poor thing I, oh. I know it was horrible oh. it was horrible it took up so oh much my of my goodness. time and, oh. then was, um, and then there was the bread and the cheese and the wine and, <laughs> and the coffee oh another thing sidebar um if you want to go to paris and you want to go to the louvre go at night um i did not know this uh and it was one of my co-workers at the time now a friend uh told me about this it was me uh my friend Anis, and my other friend laurent and uh we went there at night um into the louvre there was like nobody there so there was nobody in front of like the mona lisa for instance when we got there just straight walk up to it nobody's there Whoa. um yeah no it was like i was so shocked um and they have a couple of nights in the week when they stay open till i think like 9 or 10 p.m so if you go out there 
go during the nighttime because like nobody's there um just a bunch of like art students basically that are doing sketches um and so I actually got to go to the Louvre and do um some sketches with you know my coworkers like that I'm still in touch with and they're super awesome friends now um and like late at night after work one day it was so cool that Um, is you know what I really (laughs) Jesus um, I I love the concept of places like that being open at night. There's a there's a different energy yes. to them at night. Uh, we a few years back, and this is you know a silly example, but uh, Viscaya was doing uh night walks. Yeah. Um, and we oh, went. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know we've been to Viscaya a hundred times during the day. We did Ren fairs there. We performed there. You know we've done all that stuff. Yep. But to go at night the energy completely shifts and mm-hmm. it was so beautiful. And yeah. I, I really think more same, places like honestly. that should do it. Yep. Yeah. Especially because in a lot of the like sculpture galleries and such, um, because they're sculptures, they actually have like kind of a glass ceiling atrium kind of vibe to it. Uh-huh. So you can really see it in like the different like colors of the day, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like it definitely is different. It gets like a little bit cooler you can see the stars coming up from the ceiling. Oh. It all gets a little bit darker, moodier. It's really cool. <laughs> Just wow. <laughs> oh man. So I, I had to do that. Yeah. It was necessary yeah. for my job. It's, no, it's yeah. very important. We would have been upset with you had you not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, I mean what you had to endure. Just I know. Um, but, but so the- that's a methodology called guerrilla testing. Um, so I was saying before how there's different methodologies for if you're doing like um, like regulated work versus like more agile stuff. So instead of doing in a situation where I needed to work out months in advance, have a controlled setting, controlled variables, like all that stuff. It was something where I was able to take a prototype out, bring it to different types of users, certify that they're different types of users have them do a couple of structured tasks while we're there in terms of taking pictures, taking videos, manipulating the different options that they have, and then collecting feedback as well as some success measures um, and doing it all on the fly, basically, in kind of like a free form. Like you have the structured tasks, but, you know, you walk up to the people, you try and get their their attention, their assistance, like right there. You know, maybe you give them a coffee card, maybe you give them like, you know what I mean? But yeah. For the most part, you, you're just kind of like grabbing people off the street that look like they fit your criteria, talking with them a bit, and then having them do that in real life. Um, so it was actually really fascinating because what we were finding out with that camera through doing stuff like this, um, it tended to be older people who had like the super fancy camera set up. And it tended to be younger people who were using like smartphones and stuff to take pictures. Uh-huh. Uh, not really super surprising. Uh, but what was surprising uh, was that the older people that had the super fancy cameras where they knew like all the different things like what's an f-stop and how do you control it and what does it mean if you change your focus and how do you get a, the perfect bokeh um, like those people weren't touching those controls um, which were on the iPhone that was connected to it they only wanted to use the physical button that was on the camera attachment but they didn't want to change like even though they knew what all the different controls were they didn't like they they were feeling uncomfortable trying to use anything on the touchscreen. And huh. then the youngins um, were the ones who were like, I don't know what this means, but like, whoa, this is a super cool effect. Whoa, this is super cool. Oh wow, I can feel the lenses changing in my hand. I'm gonna snap it. Oh look, if I press and hold, I can take like an action shot. And like 
the ones you had no idea what they were doing were the ones who were using it. So it was like an interesting kind of shift in opinion on things. Uh-huh. Um, and also like that's where it played into marketing, right? Like you want to market it to the, the audience that will actually make the most use out of it. So, you know, mm. that was an unexpected thing that we passed back. Um, but I think actually the, the most interesting participants acting differently than they typically do um and actually be while i was doing work with the navy um because we found out you know typically speaking when people are using technology right they the older you get the more you want to just stay with what you're used to and you're not necessarily as exploratory in terms of like what you want to tap how you would think to manipulate things what gestural controls you would use on like a touchscreen device um I, yeah I find myself as I'm getting older doing that. I'm doing exactly that and having to like get my kids to make me explore things. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, that's just that's just a usage pattern that's like kind of universal for the most part. Um, and the the younger you are, the more exploratory you tend to be. Um, and part of that is like, um, you know, besides just having the spatial, the cognitive, like what you're used to, all that other stuff, there's some um, interesting. <laughs> There's my dog. Um, there's some interesting kind of like uh, societal issues there. Um, and with with armed forces, one thing that was interesting to find out, um, the people who would do the exploratory behavior were actually the older people, the like career people who'd been working there 25, 35, 40 years. And the ones who would not do anything and they'd like um, basically just be afraid to try anything were the ones who were like the new recruits and so i was like oh my god what is going on here this is like the complete opposite behavior one second please oh no problem deal with the babies yeah (laughs) oh my goodness they need kisses on their heads (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness just you tell them we want treats. <laughs> Mom, you're paying attention to something that is not me. Why? <laughs> That's exactly what's happening, actually. Um, <laughs> Baskel knows when it's around five o'clock and he gets very upset if I'm still working then. And then he like, oh. the, the later it gets, the more he progresses. <laughs> He's like, oh, I want my snuggle time. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so back to that. It was because the the new the new recruits basically like the ones that are like right out of basic and stuff. Uh-huh. They are basically drilled into them. Do not touch anything you do not know what it is for. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. It's because there's a huge amount of systems. Um, some of them going back like thirty years or more. And, you know, people have figured out ways to do what they need to do. And it's not necessarily the way that you would think or the way that's in, like, the book. But if it works, (laughs) it works. So they'll do, like, on-the-spot kind of uh, training and commands. So they're like, do not touch this. Do not touch that. Only press this. Only this situation. And um, (laughs) the older What happens if I push this button? Oh, look, that (laughs) missile just fired. I'm fired. <laughs> so basically, it, but then the people who <laughs> um I actually worked with a Carl and he <laughs> basically fit the llama like so good. 
um but yeah so like the older people that have been working there they're like i don't give a shit like i've been here so far what you gonna do like i already got my retirement in i've been here like this many years like i'm gonna press that button like i can do it (laughs) Um, do what i want I do I what I want. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was just like, whoa, that is like just the complete opposite behavior that you usually get. So then, um, right, the part of what I do is you need to try and encourage the behavior that's being frowned upon, you know, and basically being drilled into them to do the opposite when you're working on the new systems because you're improving it. And like one of the most heartrending things that I heard there was just how many times people were like, wait, that's that's what all you have to do. It's it's that easy like you don't have to <laughs> do this that or the other like that's it oh that's, that's it <laughs> it's like, yep. and they're like oh my god <laughs> like oh you sweet summer child what have you gone through like you know i um when i when i moved to new york i lived with a, uh i lived with uh, a girlfriend's family and her father had been in the army uh during vietnam and he got assigned to the coastal guns that used to be in the northeast um and he was telling me that you know they have like the whole the whole whole army line of like you're the guy who loads in the you know loads in the the shell you're the one who closes it up you're the one who does this this and there was one guy who stands at the end who all he did was have his hand out and there was nothing for him to do and finally uh, her father very curious guy was like, hey, uh, Sarge, why is why is why is that guy hold his hand out? He said, well, when we first started these guns up, they were mule wagon drawn weapons. They were, you know, you pull them in by by mule cart, set them up, and the guy on the end's job was to hold the reins of the mule so that when the cannon fired, the mule didn't start. Yep. So he was holding a traditional position that was outdated simply for the fact that it was history. Of holding the mule's harness, even and though the regulations haven't been changed, so they even must though them. Yeah, yeah, even though the gun is now like fixed in place, there was no <laughs> there was no cart running the gun. Out. It was just like I was like, yeah, that that sounds about that sounds about right for for government stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's huh. Yep, there's hey. unfortunately a lot of things like that, and uh, I will say that the government is working to improve on that, uh, but there is. Like there, that's where it goes back to the whole difference between working in industry versus government, the amount of red tape and paperwork and the amount of work and effort that needs to go into making one of those edits. It's just massive and you wouldn't necessarily expect that. Um, but yeah, that is actually fairly common. And it's just because it's it's it takes so long to get things approved and officially changed and then implemented. Um, so, yeah, feel for that guy who was holding on to the imaginary mule. <laughs> <laughs> Geek point what? to Joe for the mule knowledge and a geek point to Caitlin for her Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's wow. What'd you do in the army? Held the mule? What mule? I don't know. <laughs> Only the special could see the mule. Yeah. <laughs> or what mule? I'm sorry. You're not classified enough to know that information. <laughs> That's actually you, one thing that's always fun is like, I'm sorry, you don't have the classification to know that information. <laughs> you do not have the right credentials to see the mule. That's going to be like, you know, <laughs> there's there's some euphemisms there. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you can get into all kinds of philosophy around that statement. <laughs> That's why it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. So do we want to get on to some geek news? I, I think we're, we have, Caitlin has, oh geez. Um, we, we, um, Caitlin, thank you so much, uh, for that trip down, uh, badass woman lane. Oh, I try. Um, it's, it, it, it is a pleasure to, to hear all that, that has gone on with you and all that you have accomplished. I am, I am so, for what it's worth for your, your simple little big sister and Adria, I am so proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um and uh yeah there's there's some some stuff somebody who posted the like breaking news thing here that would be will that would be will what yes that would hell, be man? me yeah some breaking breaking news let's talk uh, about it well let's talk about it so yeah this is this is fresh we uh as we are recording this news hit the twitter line uh, DC Comics and the DC Universe have been hit by some pretty major layoffs. Uh, and I get my thinky box working again. Speaking of ergonomics, can you make this easier to use? <laughs> I can. Yes, that is my job. There we go. <laughs> All right. So Warner Media has uh, announced that they're going to be issuing out some layoffs, and some pretty big names are a part of this. Uh, rumored to be losing their positions are Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris, Senior VP of Publishing Strategy and Support Services Hank Canals, the VP of Marketing and Creative Services Jonah Weiland, VP of Global Publishing Initiatives and Digital Strategy Bobby Chase, Senior Editor Story Editor, or Senior Story Editor, Brian Cunningham, and executive editor Mark Doyle, who uh, oversaw the rollout of the Black Label graphic novels. Uh, Jim Lee will remain the CEO, uh, according to these reports, and this is all very, very fresh. Oh, thank goodness. But still, holy cow! Um, also, uh, says here that a majority of the staff of the streaming service, DC Universe, have been laid off as well. Um, wow. Industry insiders have been expecting this since the HBO Maxes hit the airwaves. Um, and as soon as that happened, DC Universe was pretty much DOA. Holy cow. Man, I'm glad I jumped in and got that DC Universe subscription. Oh, oh I am sorry. <laughs> oh my I'll, God. I'll, I'll still watch my Titans and Doom Patrol till they it from my cold dead hands right well some of those shows have already made the transition over to hbo max and i would expect more of them to do so yeah. as well since they're uh hbo max is losing their one of their cornerstones what are they losing uh from what i gather they're losing harry potter and what? it's going to be moving over to uh a different site interesting huh. it it really has become like the war of the franchises yeah wow we were i was just saying the other night i i had been like wanting to go on a harry potter binge 
for a while and uh, we couldn't find them on any of the streaming. So Eva says we had because we did not have the HBOs. Yeah, from what I understand, oh. they're they're going to be moving to uh, the Peacock. And uh, just for those of us who are Roku users, neither the Peacock nor HBO Max is available for us. Screw you, Roku. <laughs> no, it's not Roku's fault. It's HBO and, and, and NBC Universal don't want to share profits with Roku like everybody else does. Okay, screw those guys too. <laughs> I mean, Roku's just the platform. The app is one thing. So Roku disseminates and is your friend. The companies behind not making the apps are the enemies. Okay. So Roku nice. Roku's okay. nice. <laughs> Sorry, Roku. <laughs> Kaylin says I have to apologize. I appreciate your services. Uh, it's it's not only Roku. Uh, they are also having uh, financial issues with the Amazon Fire Sticks. Mm. So. <sighs> well, the goal is to get you to get their app and buy money and spend money with them, not get it for free. I will pay for it if you put it on my Roku, like I pay for Disney Plus and Netflix and all the other things that I have because we don't want to have cable. But now I have more things on it than I had on cable. I don't. I don't. I'm just accurate statement is accurate. It, it is. It is absolutely <laughs> accurate. It, it's getting to the point where it's. I just want to watch this one show. Can I? Can I rent? Can I, can I buy this one show? Can I give you a buck ninety nine to get this one show? That's oh yeah, with Google Movies, yes, Google Play Movies, you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's really like I. Again, you know, I wanted to watch Practical Magic. Couldn't find Practical Magic anywhere. I have it on DVD. Do I have a working DVD player? No. <laughs> Do you have a game console that's working? No. No. My kids uh -huh. do, but they're in their rooms and they don't share. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> and and we thought there was one hiding in the uh, hiding under the TV in the dresser we use as a TV stand in the living room. And then the one day I was like, oh, let's check and open it up. And it's gone. And it was like, hey, Chase, what happened to the PS3 that was here? Oh, I sold it to Jeremy. So he owes you one then. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> technically it was his it was his so we couldn't really say too much and i we honestly just need to like be old people and get a little dvd player no we can get a game console is what we get yeah okay yes that is what the solution is okay um, so you can play minecraft play or whatever else you want to play <laughs> no kayla just, has on multiple episodes has mentioned wanting to play minecraft i um... i do only because I want to learn to play Minecraft so that I can make my D&D &D, uh, world in Minecraft so that my D&D &D players can wander around the world like for realsies. That's oh, re it's really that the only reason I want to do it. Yeah. Like, because like I'm, I'm world building right now. I'm doing a game that, that uh, we're kind of, it's, we're loosely basing it off of uh, like fairy tales and stuff like that. And um, there's there's these it's all of uh, the Tenth Kingdom. There's all of these kingdoms, and then there's like the central nexus city that they get to go back to, in between quests and whatnot. And I really just want to build this for them. Like I want this to be like this gift to my D to my D and D players, where like one day I can show up and go turn on your console, you know, because they have like a giant TV, and and you know, and and show them this incredible thing. 
but I have to get around the fact that I, I it's a video game and I have to learn to play it. Mind <laughs> you, this is the same woman who doesn't well, particularly like having to play using Roll20. Because it feels too much like a video game. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, you know, um, A, there is actually a new game out, Minecraft Dungeons, where it kind of is like it's an RPG in Minecraft. So kind of like that. Um, but obviously you can't create the environment and stuff there. But there are other um, simulation programs and stuff that you can do where they come with preset like images, shapes, um, things that you can pop in there. Uh, we were actually looking at one of them for work for some of our remote testing exploration ideas and it is a ar type thing so you know you can actually put on a headset and view it or you can watch it on your computer um but like it's a 3d object it has space you can walk around move around do stuff like that so there's definitely programs that you can do that with besides minecraft unless you want to go for like the 8-bit feel you know i like the 8-bit feel um i think for me because there's uh there's some anxiety surrounding video games for me and the more old school it feels, the less that anxiety is there, I think is why I like that feel. Um, wow. You know, and I used to watch Jeremy all the time, my son, uh, play, play and just build stuff. And he would build these beautiful, like, waterfalls and forests and all of this cool stuff. And it looked like so much fun. And I think I just want to, like, connect with that again i also have to resign myself to the fact that i have to pay for it um <laughs> i'm old and i don't like to pay for things <laughs> yeah that's the, that, that's the easiest of the, of the things to handle though yeah yeah so, yeah i mean you know it's just do it kayla um well if you do then i put in a potentially uh contentious card in the lot of saying get an xbox so you can do xbox live because I have that set up so I can hang out virtually with a couple of people in Florida. It would be cool to hang out with you, too. Okay. There you go. Xbox Live, which means I get to watch my practical magic. And I can play Minecraft. <laughs> and you I, can hang out with me while you're and doing I can, either. And I can both. hang out with Caitlin. And I can be like, Caitlin, I don't know how to do it. Fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get all of those apps that you so you, you can't get now. There you go. That's true. <laughs> okay, so Xbox Live is is in the running, maybe for Christmas okay. or your birthday. Well, my birthday, my birthday's coming, and it sucks <laughs> because like nobody's gonna do the things they normally do on my birthday. Because, well, you, I mean, you and I sit home. Yeah, we sit home and and pretend to wait for the trick or treaters while we eat all the candy. <laughs> That's what you well, do on Halloween, right? So Claymore and I are planning on doing something crazy. Like once COVID's over because we couldn't do our usual party. So okay. I think Crazy KK needs to get a foot in the door and join us with something. It has been a long time since I have been to a Caitlin Claymore party. <laughs> I think the last time I showed up at a Caitlin Claymore party, um, you were in the bath toilet tub and Claymore was only speaking German. <laughs> yeah, he does that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, so clearly you need to go to another one. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right, so we have the news at DC Comics DC Universe. Sounds kind of terrifying. Sad face. So wait, mm -hmm. hold on. This is just for the 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 TV stuff? Or no, like... This is, this is the comics too. The, the actual comic company is taking yeah. a hit. Yep. No. 
So how are we going to have Superman's? The, okay, it was just the editor in chief. Right, right, right. I know. It's they're There's just some, yeah. They're cleaning they, house. Yeah. But Jim Lee's still there. Jim Lee's still there. Okay. And probably Jeff Johns. Okay. <sighs> well, as more information comes out, I'll, I'll get more information for next week. And okay. Give you a follow up. Yep. yep. Um. One of the things I wanted to bring up this week, uh, it was released, uh, I want to say, near the end of last week on Twitter. Uh, Twitter user, uh, her name is Sarah. She is Mustang Sart on Twitter, um, also called the Dislocating uh, GM. She is a, a woman with disabilities, and she designed the combat wheelchair for use in D&D 5e. Um, I'm so nice. excited about this. Um, and there are some like Critical Role's Matt Mercer who loved the idea so much uh, that he responded to the post uh, also D&D luminaries like Todd Kendrick uh, responded back with what a great idea um, but of course with everything there were the negatives um, but for the most part the re result has been positive positive. Um, so basically it is if you would like to have a character in D&D who has a mobility disability, there is now a combat wheelchair for your character. Um, I will in the show notes, I will put the uh, link to the Google Drive that uh, she has made available. Um, and again, she, uh, and I'll also put a link to her, her Twitter profile. Um, she is a independent uh, freelance game designer. She's worked with such names as Paizo and our Talosaurian Games on their uh, Witcher TTRPG, which we talked about uh, last week. Uh, the lead designer of it, uh, I think was Cody Poundsmith, uh, was just uh, an honoree for the Diana Jones Award. Um, she's on that team doing doing work for the Witcher game. So That is very cool. Yeah, I think that's a very cool step and to recognize uh, that, hey, you know what? D&D &D heroes might have disabilities. Um, it's just like the Curse of Strahd. Uh, Curse of Strahd Revamped is going to be coming out soon. Um, this is part of Wizards of the Coast's uh, recognition that there were some problematic things in Curse of Strahd. So all of the negative Romani stereotypes that were applied to the Vistani people in the game, those are being removed. And there is a heroine in the game, an NPC heroine in the game who uh, has a prosthetic leg. And in the original write-up for it, uh, she is said that she tries very hard to hide her prosthetic leg. And that's being removed and changed so that she's proud of it because she lost her leg fighting werewolves to save her people so okay yeah very cool okay yeah. so so this this combat wheelchair thing um we are going to let her know that we love her right oh i i have already i, I tweeted out to two friends of of mine with disabilities um and uh one of them both of them are actually are are, are uh partial wheelchair users and the reaction to this from them was incredible. You know, just being seen, being represented, um, being made to feel like you can be a hero regardless of your physical abilities. Um, so yeah, I have I have replied back on my own Twitter to to her to let her know uh, that we think she 
is awesome um and that she has you know and and the two friends i showed it to are not really gamers but just to show them this um you know it's it's a step in the right direction and uh hopefully you know wizards will see this and they'll realize hey we've got to do better with representing disabilities mm. in the game so when are we having <laughs> her on the podcast uh i was already thinking about that we just have to <laughs> figure out how to work out because i think she's in england oh so i'll stay up late or get up early or whatever <laughs> <laughs> just like put headphones on me i'm good <laughs> so i don't have to figure out how the volume on the on the microphone works yes exactly <laughs> i'm glad you said it <laughs> <laughs> Um. <laughs> see i i am i provide balance we have caitlin who is super whiz kid amazing wonderful with technology i'm just the balance on the other side that's it wait wait, wait. wait. i'm a super whiz kid I'm not a kid anymore goodness gracious yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you think i am right now by the way in my head you're still like 25 forever <laughs> no 33 getting old <laughs> no, no <it's> <laughs> um, yeah, get off yeah, our yeah. lawns. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, you're still I, a youngin. I freaked out a mutual friend of ours. Um, you'd know me since I was like, I don't know, 15, 16. Um, it was Alyssa because she heard oh, posting yeah. pictures about her kids and how, oh my god, how is that happening? How are they this old? And I was like, I'm 33. <laughs> <laughs> She lost I, I, it on me. Yeah, I can <laughs> totally see Caitlin being like, no, you're not allowed. <sighs> um, yeah, Caitlin, Caitlin's an incredible woman. Um, one of my favorite stories, um, and, and we can cut this if you don't want this story told, but it is one of my favorite stories of you. Um, because it was such I'm it was listening. such an, huh? I'm listening. <laughs> okay. It, it was such an incredible moment. It was it was near uh, the beginning of you uh, coming out and fighting and stuff with Adria. And um, you had a moment. Uh, and I don't remember what the trigger was. I know there was some family issues, but there was like it, things just weren't working fight wise for you. The armor, whatever, like things. And you were you were kind of upset and not sure if you wanted to continue fighting. And I remember very distinctly taking you by the hand. And walking you over to Alyssa and sitting you down with Alyssa and going, this badass tiny little woman can do it and so can you. And I remember sitting there and talking to the two of you and her talking to you about, about fighting and about fighting the big boys and, and how it didn't matter because you were fast and all of this stuff. And it's just, it's such a heartwarming memory to me because it was like, I saw you grow in that day. My guess is from how that is, it was probably because... Um, I was forbidden from doing the the heavy fighting, the steel fighting, uh, actually, um, because I was a girl um, from my parents, which was kind of fucked up on multiple levels. But it's um, so like, honestly, I kind of snuck around that. And um, I think that was probably when I was trying to figure out if I was going to try pushing for it or if I was just going to give up on it. Uh -huh. um, but I wound up uh, doing all of the training and stuff in secret and then um i just did it at fair <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> like yep. a couple of times and then was like oh yeah i totally did that and i came home safe and i didn't lose an arm and <laughs> and you're totally no okay yeah um, yeah so that's what happened um mm -hmm. but i'm thinking that's probably the time um yeah yeah it was it was really cool to see that like woman empowering woman kind of a moment you know 
um, you know, where Alyssa got to just like, cause she was, she was not new to it, but hadn't been in for too long and was still kind of proven herself herself, but she was kicking ass. Um, and I remember that that was the day I have a weird memory. I remember details about some stuff and then like, forget what I did five minutes ago, but, um, that was the day that it was a, it was a war, I believe, um, or a big event. And, uh, she ended up, it was two armies going against each other. And she ended up last man standing on one side with like five or six guys on the other side. And she was fending them off. Yeah, somebody has a picture of that, by the way. And it's hilarious looking because yeah. it's like from behind her point of view. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. That was insane. And she called honorable combat. And then I don't, I forget who she fought. Uh, Might've been Snoopy. Um, but she did call honorable combat and then it was one on one and she whoever it was, she kicked his butt. <laughs> like she does. Like she does. <laughs> um, yeah, just really cool moments. Those those are some of my my favorite memories um well, of that time. On that note though, if anybody's listening that's a chick and you want to start fighting, um, fuck the dudes who say shit to you because you mm-hmm. will get people that say shit to you and yep. try to pull shit with you. Um, like I remember when you're at fair you for instance kayla you actually got really upset i think it was you and andy because of the bruising that i had kind of going across my chest and my arms because one of the dudes that i was fighting didn't want to fight with the chick so he kept on smacking me there and pushing me back in the leather armor yes he was hitting you too hard he was hitting you in the chest i remember going after him for that yeah yeah and i've also had um another gentleman shall we say um, hmm. tell me that he would go out of his way to try and break the armor on me um, because, quote, if you are old enough to bleed, you're old enough to butcher. Um, so that's fun. Hmm. Wow. Fuck the, fuck the guys and do it anyways because it's awesome. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. let those idiots out there stop you. It is one of the most empowering things, whether it is some kind of martial art or like we did with medieval fighting or whatever it is. If you feel the need to empower yourself physically in that way, don't let anything stand in your way. It is one of the most exhilarating experiences of your life and just screw those guys. Yes. High five. Long distance. Yeah. Long distance. High five. Absolutely. (laughs) We have Um, any other geek news to, uh, to cover i don't know there hasn't been a whole lot going um, on this week i know star trek lower decks rolled out on cbs all access and as soon as i remember to sign up for it again yeah we need to watch that we'll we'll, we'll watch it and give you some some uh, reactions to do some reviews um i have uh, one last thing to go into and i'll save the rest of these for next week but uh this upcoming week is the last episode of agents of shield oh oh wow it's been on a long time hasn't it seven seasons all right oh. uh, star trek run yeah that, that's a, actually a pretty av- that's a pretty respectable average tv run for a, a yeah. sh- uh, for a show and considering that it yeah. really has absolutely nothing to do with the mcu with the exception of colson that's yeah. amazing yeah. like at the first two seasons they there was like some peripheral tangible tangent uh to what was going on with like um baron zemo and the them them testing uh, people because mm. there was because there was a hint during agents of shields about 
these two twins in Sokovia Cer or whatever the the fake Eastern European country that uh, Scarlet Witch and and Quicksilver were supposed to be from. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it was like there was that. That was like the one time, the uh, the one time, like I think a couple people from like uh, the when the Shield Hydra thing happened, like folks you may have seen in Captain America, uh, wasn't Civil War? Was no, it wasn't Civil War. Winter Soldier. Uh, mm -hmm. When you realize that that Shield was be was really being run by Hydra, there was a couple crossover where like the actors appeared, but really the the the, the connection to the MCU was very sad. Well, it, it wasn't designed to be a. Well, no. You have to watch this in order to understand things. The it, the original sort of thing. Separate. Well, the original thing though that Joss and and ABC and 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 Disney said was that they were going to be it, some things that happened in Agents of Shield were going to have were going were supposed to have resonances into the movie, and the movies were supposed to have resonances into into the series. It and apparently then, did not work out that way. Well, what happened then is Joss Joss left being the the direct the Marvel guy, and it became the Russo brothers mm. um, who got their start on Community. So everything goes back to Andy. Ha ha. <laughs> um. Um. So for talking on TV shows that like started out but maybe don't have direct correlation anymore, uh, Umbrella Academy the second season came out pretty yes. good. Uh, it's based off a Dark Horse comic that was made by. The lead singer for My Chemical Romance. So got that one going. I, I I've heard some good things. I realized in going back and going, okay, I want to watch season two. I realized that I had not finished season one. Um, <laughs> so I had a couple. I have a couple of episodes to catch up on, and then I'm gonna dive into it. Um, but uh, Jason tells me, my son tells me, it's it's really good. He enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I it, haven't read the comics, but I, I kind of want to once the season or series ends, I should say. I always get so disappointed when I read the book first and then watch it, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's usually how it works out. Um, I did have one little thing, um, and this is just kind of a, a, a update on something we talked about uh, last episode. Um, last episode, we, 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 were, we were talking with Mary uh um story time uh so we were talking with mary about the brain monster thing mm -hmm. um and uh uh so i took that and and after you we talked one. about what now yes you made one and not only did i make <laughs> one um but i am i'm obsessed like it's my new passion project uh but what was really really cool and interesting and i i wanted to just kind of because i know that in in the geek community um there's a lot of us that that suffer with these brain monsters these things these fear anxiety depression whatever um things uh a lot of us fight with them and uh when i was developing it i i put a post out um and it's it's pretty safe to say that i don't think i have a friend that isn't some kind of a geek or nerd of some i don't have vanilla muggle friends no um <laughs> none of them um they're so, fun though because like they'll say things like whenever i think my life is crazy or i'm doing something weird i just remember caitlin exists <laughs> or kayla exists <laughs> There's, we we all have have our our crazy stuff you know um so i put out this post and i just put it on my personal page um saying hey i need suggestions um i explained what the brain monsters were that it was the the theory of uh taking these things, these anxieties and fears and whatever, and in your head creating this little monster that you can soothe or talk to or tell to shut up or whatever. 
give it a cookie is my favorite one. Um, and I needed suggestions on, on others to make, like I had come up with like, you know, pain, panic, fear, you know, that kind of thing. And the response, the, the just, I mean, practically everyone on my friends list had something to say, um, had some kind of a suggestion. And what I realized very quickly um, was how much we all have these things in common and how we all kind of fight with these things. Um, and I was like, guys, you know, look at this. Like, it's kind of fucked up. But look at this. We are all, we're all, we're, none of us are alone. We're all fighting these monsters. We're all dealing with these things. You're not alone in these things. And, and we all are kind of in this this subset of the world and the community of people that use their brains in, in different ways um, and, and deal with things in different ways and deal with emotional issues and stuff like that. And it fueled me in, in such a way. Um, it was just so incredible and so heartwarming um, to see that and see everybody kind of comment and, and, and show a little bit of vulnerability in making these suggestions. And I was like, that's it. This is what I'm doing from here on. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have made one um and the pictures are posted up on on the page um and I'm working on another one and I I have this weird thing I cannot do commissions um and I've talked about this before I can do something a hundred times and as soon as somebody tells me um to do something or asks me if I can make something for them there's this little space in my brain that goes nope don't wanna um <laughs> and I can't fix it uh, so I'm not necessarily taking commissions, but I am taking all of these suggestions and I am writing them all down. And I would love to hear from, from our listeners as well, you know, things that you struggle with, uh, you know, for being different or whatever it is, um, as, as inspiration. Uh, and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep making these things. Um, and if you are in the South Florida area and have empty pickle jars, <laughs> I need them. <laughs> the big well, are you accepting jars. of other size jars? Or only pickle jars. Um, currently, right now, the ones that the the one that I've created was kind of it was big and it fit in really nicely in one of those like big pickle jars. So I'm kind of going with that size right now because I'm doing it mostly out of fabric. And the tinier you get in sewing, the harder it is. <laughs> and and my hands are not <laughs> what they used to be. Um, so they're 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 probably going to be around big pickle jar size for now. But I have had a few people say things like, you know, can you use other jars? And I was, you know, and like um, the the larger olive jars uh, are also really cool size and shape for that. Um, I had one person ask uh, if I could do it in a spaghetti sauce jar, um, which is kind of tiny. So I may have to switch mediums for that one. Um, but we'll see, you know, but I'm starting with the bigger ones to kind of get used to making these these funky little dolls and we'll see where we go from there. So so, yeah, it, it's being done. And, and thank you, Mary, for kind of dragging that idea out of me uh, last week. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Cool. Cool. So uh, looks like it's time to go back to the big board. Yep. See who is the geekiest. Get, get, um. <laughs> yeah, um, Caitlin, yes. Connie, you're yes. the, you are you are the geekiest. <laughs> That's really funny because I was like, I feel like I'm like a jack of all trades geek, master of none. So I wasn't that's, expecting that. Excellent. You know what? And and that's okay. That that you are you are uh, diverse. 
And I love that. And you are definitely by far, Caitlin came out in front with nine and I probably could have given her, I think we all could have given her more. Um, (laughs) Joe uh, came in second at four and uh, Will and I tied for two. Nice. All right. So Caitlin, as is tradition, uh, you have the rights, responsibilities and duties to plug whatever it is you want to plug first. So uh, if there's anything you want to promote. Actually, yes, I will. Um, A friend of mine, Eric Andres, he is actually creating um, some tabletop gaming stuff along the lines of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, He's calling it The Dark Histories. It's kind of got two sets starting right now, one called Corrupted Flesh. Uh, is kind of the main one that he's got going, and uh, it's about to be published in the near future. So look for The Dark Histories, Corrupted Flesh, from Eric Andrus. All right, and we will put a link to to that uh, however we can in the show notes. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Kayla. Yo. Where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, You can find me uh, on the Twits at hawk <laughs> underscore kayla uh that is k-a-i-l-a um you can find me on instagram at geekiest kayla um that's kind of my main hub for stuff and things and things and things i actually check um although lately i'm obsessed with tiktok so i i'm not looking at anything but no I'm, i i will check my instagram i promise uh, <laughs> you may not get uh, to watch TikTok any longer, though. Uh, we're not even going to get into that. That's making me mad. <laughs> um, really, really mad. Uh, but anyway, um, you can also find me playing Jade on our other show, uh, Not Safe for Wizards, the D&D 5th edition actual play podcast with the rest of my crazy nerdy castmates on that. Um, and uh, if you are in the South Florida downtown Davie area and would like to see our our fun, geeky, witchy, pride-filled, crazy little shop uh, where the brain monsters are being made, uh, you can check us out at 4148 Davie Road. Um, and of course, Secondhand Goddess on all the socials. Uh, I try to update as often as I can. And uh, for our online store stuff, uh, you can check out secondhandgoddess.net. Uh, we're trying to get more stuff online uh, as well so that people can shop. <laughs> okay. Uh, and Will? You can find me at Geekiest Will on Instagram and Twitter. And I wanted to leave you a funny thing to look at today. Uh, take a look at Twitter, the KFC uh account and take a look at who they're following you'll get a nice little chuckle (laughs) okay (laughs) now i'm curious okay and joe sir well you can find me on twitter at demorgus that's d-e-m-o-r-g-u-s you can find all the you can find the podcast stuff at the geekiest pod across all the socials that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can find me being the DM of the Not Safe for Wizards 5th Edition Actual Play podcast, where I play everybody else but the characters. Um, uh, there will also there's still the link in the show notes to watch me actually play D&D on the Mind Flayed Mondays YouTube channel. Get to watch me win D&D. And nice. I, 
Yeah, I think that's about it. So just want to remind you in this time of COVID to please continue social distancing, wear a mask. As Pete would say, don't be a dick. Uh, we believe that Black Lives Matter, and we thank you for listening this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. Bye. And, and Will would interject here and say, leave it better than you found it. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.